Welcome back, my friends, to the fifth edition, the fifth episode of The Mark Claire Show. Wrapping up this first month of the program. Really been thrilled to be sparking, sparking, embarking, whatever. I don't edit anymore. This is the new me. All right. I just spit it out and you get what you get to be embarking on this new mission outside of politics, uh, helping you understand, comprehend, and navigate our reality. And uh, for those of you that are new to the show, well, this is a great starting point, let me say, because it's probably the wildest and most most far away from the kind of stuff I used to do over at Lions of Liberty, if you followed me from there. I'm very honored to be speaking to today's guest. He's someone I've been a fan of for a really long time. He is the host of the Tinfoil Hat Podcast and a billion other podcasts. Really pleased to be welcoming in Sam Tripoli. So let's get right to it. With me today, he is a stand-up comedian. He is the host of about 7,000 podcasts, uh, most notably um, one of the grandest and greatest conspiracy podcasts around Tinfoil Hat. I'm really stoked to welcome Sam Tripoli. Sam, welcome to my show, man. Mark, thank you for having me on, dude. I appreciate it. Thank you for the kind words. Love the graphics. Thank you. I love your production already. Appreciate it. It's Appreciate it. I'm, I'm a one-man show back here. I don't have a producer. Or I'm, I'm pressing buttons. I'm talking. It's the, it's the You're <laughs> crushing it, dude. I've been really trying to... I really want to up my game on my uh, production value on some of my like um, solo projects. So I really like what you got here. And uh, I am already envious. of. <laughs> well, thank you, man. That, that means a lot coming from you. Um, I want to get into a lot of stuff, a lot of different directions we can go. But I, I kind of want to start off just digging more into your stand up comedy background and how that stuff got started. And maybe somewhere along the way, wherever it makes the most sense, we can peek into how you first took interest in kind of the weird, the wild, the conspiracy type stuff. Sounds great. Thank you, bud. I'm in. Let's do it. Let's get weird. So how, how did things start for you? How did you first get interested in, in sort of stand up comedy? How did you get started on that end of things? I say this. I wanted to be a stand up comic. Before I realized there was a name for it, I wanted to do stand-up comedy before I realized I, like, when I realized I existed in the universe, my first thought was, I am something in this universe. My second thought was, I want to make people laugh. So I've been wanting to do it my whole life, even before I even knew there was a job or there was a title for it. It's just something I've always wanted to do. So how did you actually go from that thing you wanted to do, making people laugh, to, act, to actually get on, getting on stage, holding a microphone, and, and taking that dive? What started as a, a, a um, psychological operation by my father <laughs> to convince me to move to Vegas so he could buy a house out there and he could fly out and gamble as a tax write-off, uh, I decided to go to Las Vegas uh, and go to UNLV because I thought it'd be a great place to start doing stand-up. Little did I know it was, a, a, at the time, uh, just a dumpster fire for stand-up. It's a wonderful comedy scene now, but then it, there's nothing going on. But I went out to Vegas, and I, I joined a improv troupe, because I didn't know the difference between improv or stand-up. I just knew it had comedy. And I, was, I joined a group, and we were doing stand-up, and this guy named Victor Isaac's like, you should try stand-up comedy. I'm like, what is that? He's like, when you tell Joe, I go, that's what I've been wanting to do. <laughs> so I, I, he brought me to a coffee shop. I think it was on Sahara in Las Vegas. And I did my first stand up and I was chasing the dragon ever since, you know, highs and lows, eating it hard and then wanting to get back on it. And 
It's been a wonderful journey. Well, speaking of uh, you know chasing the dragon, I guess I've heard you talk a lot, a lot about your sort of degenerate past. I know you're you're sober now. Yes. Did that start in Las Vegas, or where did that really take off for you? I'm, I'm kind of want to dig into where things started for you on that end. I mean, uh, you know, it depends on which of the vices we're talking about, the drugs and alcohol. I'll start with your favorite, <laughs> former favorites, I guess. <laughs> well, I never like you know the truth is. We all remember our first drink, and I remember the first time I drank was in the next door neighbors, um, in the garage, and I threw up. And I never liked alcohol, and I never had a really good uh, um, relationship with it. But everybody was doing it, and I wanted to do it, so I, I did it. And I was a really bad drunk, and I would warn people, "Hey, man, I'm, you know, I'm not the best drunk in the world." So just so you know, uh, so I never had a really great relationship with alcohol. But as soon as I found cocaine, I really loved coke, and I was off and running. So I went to Vegas where I didn't even know there was something called last call till I moved <laughs> to LA and I was just running and gunning. I was just trying to, you know, connect and hook up with chicks and have all that stuff. And I just love my vices. I'm an Italian. I'm, I'm Italian, Armenian, you know, I'm, I'm, I have weird wiring. I've always said I've had weird wiring and I was just like into like running and gunning out the gate. Like I joined a fraternity. I lived in the frat house. We were drinking all the time. And I just loved my vices because I, I used to think that was what mattered. I used mm -hmm. to think like rock and roll, the lifestyle that we were sold was like the great shit. So like I always say this in recovery meetings, I was I was trying to set a high score in, in a game nobody else was playing. Right. And I used to think all that these wonderful stories of rock and roll and debauchery people cared about in reality nobody cared about and so it was just like this long run that i went on but it started early and then i picked up coke you know when i was in la my career wasn't going well so i started drinking and it wasn't then my drinking caused my career not to go well so it got to this really kind of crazy like you know vicious circle that was going on and then i end up working with uh vince vaughn on a uh, show for the troops and I bomb, I do five Jaeger bombs before I go on stage. And I, I, I bomb so badly. I, I joined AA the next day and I get it, chills it when nice... I hear the term Jaeger bombs. Cause I, I get flashbacks hangover. Oh, oh, I used to love Jaeger Jack. I'd have to drink about a couple shots of Jack just to get it started. I'm convinced I'm the reason they started charging comedians for drinks at the comedy <laughs> store. So, you know, and I was, it was a perfect storm cause I was at the world famous comedy store during what they call the dark days or the dead period. A lot of people think that was the worst time at the comedy store. The comedians there would tell you it was the greatest time at the comedy store. Uh, it was the best time. Comedy was the purest it's ever been. It was real art form back then. People were doing stand-up for the purity of stand-up and not for to impress like anybody, like agents or industry or any of that stuff. And you could bomb it, with dignity back then. And then you would go and you'd do blow and you'd hang out with whatever chick wanted to get weird with you. And it was a wonderful time. And it was the most pure comedy was ever, ever. I bet. I don't think we'll ever see a time at a major comedy club like that again. It was just a wonderful period. I'm very blessed that no matter what happens with my career, I, I can say I was, I was a big part of the world famous comedy store. At a wonderful time. So I know now you're sober, have a couple of kids. Where along the way did did that aspect change for you? Where the, the thrill of drinking, doing drugs, partying, being on that scene, did did something happen in your career that made you change? Something happened in your life? Where, where exactly did you kind of make that switch? Well, I got sober for five years 
And then I ended up going out on drugs and sex. And then I went on a bad run. And Do you mean you went sober from alcohol, but then kept with the drugs? I was sober for uh, years on uh I got sober from coke and, and booze. That's all I was doing at that time. And then I, I got, I went out on drugs, and then I went out for a while there. And then I had kids, and uh, I decided like I didn't want to be a scumbag dad. And I got sober, and I've been sober ever since. Gotcha, gotcha. So where where along the way in all this journey? Did you take up interest in in the conspiracy world? Was it something that you always kind of found fascinating? Um, how did you get to the point where you weren't just interested in it? You you went all the way, started podcasting about it, and now you have, I think, like five conspiracy podcasts, it seems like. Yeah, I uh, so I, I I'm blessed to have wonderful parents. Nobody they weren't perfect. They did the best they could and they gave me a ton of tools. My father used to sit me down and give me crime boss. Uh, type advice in life he would like tell me like if somebody disrespects you 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 know you yeah you, you know it's like if they put two years in the hospitals you put three there in the more kind of <laughs> attitude that my father gave me and he always would tell me don't believe anything in what you hear and half what you see and the first uh, people always ask me what's the, the first conspiracy i always say it's santa claus <laughs> santa claus is a giant blackmailing scheme to get you to pay uh, to do the right stuff, or else they're gonna blackmail you and not give you any toys. And then the second biggest one of my life is uh, when when the Iron Sheik and Hacksaw Jim Duggan yes. got busted in a car together, and I realized that there was a giant lie being told to us, and this theater was being put on. And I didn't believe anything after that. My whole life, for, for just for the non for the non wrestling nerds out there, you know, hacksaw Jim Duggan is what you would have called in the eighties, like a baby face, a good guy, Iron Sheik, a bad guy, and they were pulled over and caught together in a car doing cocaine. So that, that's that's the backstory yeah, there. And sadly, it destroyed both of their careers, which sucks because they're both such. And I went later on to work with uh, the Iron Sheik on a couple things, and he's wonderful. And his nephew Paige, uh, they're two, they're just wonderful people. So it was, it was very cool. But those are those are the things that make you start to wonder. And I remember being in class, like I, I, I have to say, it was ninth grade, I would say, and. Um, my so this is like eight in the eighties, and my uh this this girl that I knew barely from school, but you know we didn't run in the same circles. She was talking about Charles Manson and how a lot of people thought Charles Manson would have been framed. And I was listening to it, and I just found it very intriguing. And then li- soon she realized I was listening. Me listening, she told me to fuck off and mind my own business. But that always stuck with me that there was something else going on. And I go to college in Las Vegas. I, I learn about Norm Chomsky, and I'm off and running at that point. What was it about Chomsky that, that brought you like further into the conspiracy world? Was it just how he sort of went after the American empire and sort of the, the history we're told and that, that sort of thing? Yeah, the you know, the manufacturing of consent really like opened my eyes to stuff, like the game plan and the playbook of the media to get us to agree to stuff. And later, I, 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 you know, now in this place I am right now, you know, I realize that that's how they, that, that's a spiritual thing they do, a black magic cult ritual stuff to, you know, like propaganda is black magic. And it's there to get us to, to manufacture and manifest the need for them to come and save a problem that they've created or they've given us the illusion 
Uh, and that, like, I, I learned the basics of that with Norm Chomsky. He did it from a geopolitical point of view. And then later on, if you really do this right, you study, you study conspiracy, you go deep enough, you will, you will realize it's spiritual. This whole thing is all spiritual. And the, because when you try to discuss what the, the powers that be are doing and you try to do it from a, from a, um, uh, uh, you know, everyday person, a sheeple or whatever you want to come and normie, you know, they're always like, well, they thought it was going to be this and it just didn't go that way. And they were really trying. And then you start to like, you know, I always say cons- conspiracy people are just really good at keeping score. And then if you start studying the playbook over and over again, you start to realize that it never works out the way they they had hoped, but they always get money and they always get power. So then you start to really start studying. You realize they have all the money and all the power that they don't need any more money and they don't need any more power. And that if they were really doing this for business, why would they be bringing so much pain and suffering to us? And then you start realizing that they've made deals with demons who are trapped here by the all, the God, and they're waging war on humanity. And that, everything clicks when you start. To, there's no, oh, well, that doesn't quite make sense in this theory. It all makes sense in that theory. So it's a spiritual war. All right. Well, I was going to build my way up to this, but why don't we just dive right in? Because uh, it, it sounds like you have sort of formed this. And I heard you kind of laying this out uh, when you were on Rogan. Like, with all these years diving into these topics, having various guests on that have uh, different outlooks on things, on hidden history, propaganda, the spiritual wars going on. Can you maybe lay out further what, what you've come to as far as like a, a grand unified theory, I guess you might say, uh, of where you, how you see all this stuff sort of clicking and tying together? Okay, if you're asking me what, the, what it all is about. Sure, right, right. I believe there's m- multiple dimensions. Uh, somewhere could be up to like 40 dimensions, but the world's pretty much ba- break down into four worlds. The highest is that of God, the all it's beyond our understanding of these meat suits we're in. These are, these are like when you go to a party, you're those, those sumo meat suits and you could, all, all you can do is bump on each other. And that's kind of how you go at Well, our, these meat suits are purposefully made to limit our capacity to, to, solve problems so that we have to go through it to get to it because if we were the all-powerful universe that we are we could fucking you know um marvel comics this shit right we could just have use our superpowers and, and and fix everything so we're here to learn this is a realm of consequences there's about four levels this is from the vedics uh there's god the all-knowing then there's like two levels of angels and archangels and then at the lowest level is where this li- is and this is a if you were to ask me, this is a realm of consequences in which we all come here to learn lessons of the universe. We're all part of Christ consciousness. We're God's image, and he's trapped demons down here. And there's supposedly four of them, uh, and they, they're they trapped here to cause consequences for us. And they're, they're called the fallen angels, the watchers. Some might call them the Anunnaki, all these people. And they're here, and they're, they're trapped here. And that's why they hate humanity, and that's why they're waging war, and we see depopulation and all this stuff. And they and there are there are families or groups or elites that have made deals with these fallen. So when you see like somebody doing like this thing with the fingers and all, that's the watchers, which are the fallen, and that's what I believe is going on. This is a realm of consequences. It's energy vibrations. We're all Christ consciousness. We're all connected. 
and I can get into all that as well. I mean, there's like a lot to do with that. It's like when you start to break everything down. So how do you fight the new world order? You fight the new world order through localization, meaning yourself. You make a change in yourself. You change those around you. When you look inside yourself, things change. When shit's getting really bad for you, if you look in yourself and work on yourself, things start to change. And you look in yourself, and then you practice a couple things by helping others and those around you. And that's kind of how I think everything works out. Well, that that's a hell of a that's a hell of a grand unified theory right there. And I, I find your outlook pretty interesting too, because it. it 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 does pull from sort of uh, different different historical uh, or religious outlooks. You know, you have that sort of Vedic outlook on sort of the nature of our, of our reality, but you also kind of recognize and work in there a lot of that stuff that stems from Christianity about the fallen angels, the Nephilim, Christ consciousness. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot going on there. You know, like Christianity, Islam, Judaism, they're all Abrahamic religions. And the Abrahamic religions all basically are offshoots of Hinduism. Hinduism is an offshoot of Vedic astrology. Vedic astrology is an offshoot. And then we just keep going back, 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 and back. And if you ask me, it goes all the way back to watchers. They're fallen angels and uh, why they're here and what's what we're here to do and all that stuff. That is really, in my humble opinion, like, you know, you know whether it's Kanye or Kyrie, it's like, I believe they should be able to say whatever they want. I hate terms like that just because of generalization. I kept that same energy during white supremacy and white privilege and male toxicity and all the, these are just terms to get us all to fight with each other. And the reality is it's like, it's all Christ consciousness and we're all connected. And, uh, you know, what, what does Christ consciousness mean in the, in the way you use it? Christ consciousness is basically the, the notion that we are one with the creator the, the universe and each one of us has a soul and that soul is the universe and each one of us is connected and then you can get into and then it gets into a lot of other shit that just fits right into so so when I when I study any conspiracy when I have a guest on I, I I have even though I didn't listen to a lot of Art Bell I'd have a very Art Bell way of doing it and I didn't yeah. copy him it just this is how I do it. and then I realized listening to a little bit of Art Bell that I kind of have a, a similar way of to doing it. And that is whoever comes on the show, right? I'm going for, for that hour, two hours that they're on the show. We're going to assume everything they're saying is true. Right. And I'm going to give them the best opportunity to present their argument or their research to the listeners. And the listeners will be the ones who decide, you know, yay or nay, whether they agree. Uh, the only time I push back is, you know, hate speech or like generalization. I don't, I don't, I don't, I believe that of any group, I mean, 99% of humanity is wonderful. And there's like 1% of psychopaths and these psychopaths of every group make all the other people in the group have to defend them. And I think that's where, where we get a lot of chaos. Um, but I believe, you know, um, I believe people are most mostly good, so I'll let everybody come on and kind of present their 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 um their their presentation in the best way possible. And, they, and this was this started from day one. This is the first episode of Tinfoil Hat that I believe came out December sixteenth. It's either December thirteenth or December sixteenth, and that is the first episode with Eddie Bravo. And um, I remember having him on because you know I. 
I just had a falling out with a very good friend of mine. We're we're thick as thieves now. We love each other. Um, thick as thieves sounds like a horrible term, but I don't think thieves. <laughs> now, where did that even come from? Yeah, but I'm I'm very close with him. But at the time we had a giant falling out. Uh, a lot to do with my thing. I was using and abusing, and uh, I just it didn't work out. But so I decided to start this podcast called Tim Fall Hat, and um, I and the reason I came up with Tim Fall Hat, I just want I, I I really wanted, and I was very naive to a lot of the nuances of conspiracy at that point. I had a general nine eleven wasn't what I thought was all the stuff, but you know I had a very gen- so I go hey man I want to I want to be like uh, NWA right I want to take that word and own it so I go what is the most like taboo conspiracy word or phrase i go tinfoil hat everyone you know oh you're gonna wear your tinfoil hat so i'm like i'm like i'm gonna take that and i'm gonna own it so i called it tinfoil hat and if you listen to the show i go hey welcome tinfoil hat and he's like what's the name of the show tinfoil hat goes (laughs) oh okay like he didn't like it but now he realizes it and um so even that episode i was like i'm gonna let eddie bravo just come on here and talk and i'm because I agree with most stuff. I, I call Eddie Bravo the prophet Eddie Bravo, you know, uh, because he's so right about so much shit. And I'm like, okay, man, I'm just going to let him go. We're going to have a conversation. And that became the way the show operates. So when you get to go, long story short, to answer your question, I I kind of like have this kind of Bruce Lee, Jeet Kune Do, Jake, you know, kind of where it's like MMA, where I take the best of whatever like everything is a puzzle piece and does the puzzle piece fit or not if it fits clicks i go okay that makes that makes sense that fits into it and if it doesn't it doesn't i just listen to i just listen to the voice inside me and the, the vibrations and if it vibrates high I, I trust it if it vibrates low i don't trust it and I tend to be more right than I am wrong. What exactly inspired you to to start the podcast itself was there a moment where you're like you know what this is an interest of mine Maybe I can just have a have a have fun doing this show, but I I think at least from my perspective, just kind of seeing your evolution over the years, um, now it seems like to me getting into that conspiracy stuff has also sort of advanced your spiritual outlook and your your spiritual evolution. So maybe you can kind of you know fill in the gaps there of where that all sort of came together. Yeah, for sure. So I was you know the show had I I did a show called the Naughty Show, and it was like this multimedia uh, adult variety show and. I, I what I like to do is create brands that allow me to be as much me as possible. Okay, so the naughty show, like I, I, I always say that you know I'm a a multi layered dick joke comic who comes from a spiritual perspective, right? So I always like, hey man, I hope you're gonna enjoy these dick jokes from a spiritual perspective. That's how I open my shows. And um, so at the time, I wanted to do a show called the Naughty Show. I pitched it to Comedy Central. And this is literally what we love the show. We just don't like Sam. And like, and then that was like how I, you know, I just kind of gave up on Hollywood at that point. I had given up earlier, but I, I very much had been like an outsider in Hollywood. I always have been, always will be. It's, and that, now I'm grateful for it because it kind of, when everything collapsed, I was, had all the skill sets to survive. But did you ever have goals to, to like, make it big in the sense of like getting on a sitcom or anything like that? Or were you always just kind of enjoying more of that, that stand up nature of it? I, I, I don't remember ever being like, I want to be on a sitcom. I think I wanted to, you know, be a big comedian. I wanted to like 
I always remember writing that I wanted to do a big charity events to help people. And that's kind of, and I just want to be a great comic. And I think a lot of people get, I think very few people getting the stand up going, I want to make millions of dollars. It's later on when they start realizing it's possible or it's not possible that that changes. So I got in stand because I just want to be a great comic and I wanted to make people laugh. So I haven't really talked about this before, but I have a very dark sense of humor. And I've always wondered where that came from because it has made it made it a little harder on me than than a lot of my other people. I have a very dark perspective, a sense of humor. And I, I think it and I, you know, I've never really talked about this, but my father had epilepsy. And I watched him have like a thousand epileptic seizures. Like I watched him have so many epileptic seizures. And I just became numb to it. And I came really, really numb to it. And I uh, remember that the ambulance guys came and they were just treating my father. And I'm just watching television, turning up the volume because they're talking too much. And like later on, I realized like psychologically, like what must have been going on there? So and maybe that really hurt me. So maybe I just saw, I found humor in darkness. Mm-hmm. And I just, you just have a voice inside you and you just got to go with it. And, you know, who knows how big your voice can get in terms of a crowd. Now, there's some people voice like a fluffy, right? Gabriel Iglesias, who's a, a wonderful comedian, a wonderful, wonderful comic, a uh, great writer, just played Dodger Stadium. You know, I could barely sell out the fucking bathroom at Dodger Stadium, let alone play, you know, play Dodger Stadium. But my voice is my voice. And, you know, 100, 200 people will come see me depending on the market. Right. And that's kind of kind of where it is. So, you know, I'm I was a dirty comic. And um, at the time, everybody in L.A., this was maybe 15 years ago, I'd say that they wanted like really like they want observational clean comedy. They wanted Seinfeld. And I love Seinfeld because I think Seinfeld, maybe I don't align with him politically on some things, but he is a, uh, I feel like he's authentic to who he is. And that that person who he is on stage is who he is off stage. He, he might magnify, magnify a little bit on stage like a lot of us do. Um, but I really respect him. But I feel like he was used, um, uh, I feel like it was, he was being used by the industry to kind of kneecap comedy. Like if you look mm. at all the great Is this a Seinfeld conspiracy? Yeah. <laughs> I do. I do. Larry David, it to me is I think Seinfeld's wonderful. I think he's a very great comic, but I think Larry David is 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 the magic there. And that's yeah. nothing against Seinfeld at all because he's done more than ninety nine point nine percent of the human beings that ever live on the planet. Uh, but Larry David, I feel, is like the magic. But I feel like the industry took him as the standard that they wanted and made everybody else play by those standards. And this is kind of when the industry started taking over. And the industry was like, give us what we want. We don't care what you, the artist, want or the crowd wants. We want this. And slowly Hollywood starts to become this fortified bubble and the rest of the country doesn't matter. And now you're just doing stand-up for the industry and it has nothing to do with tell what us about the airline food. Come on. Yeah. No, it's, it, yeah. And it, you know, you go through all these phases that comedy has gone through since I've been in LA. When I first moved there, it started bang right out into the naughty show. I mean, to nerd comedy, then female comedy. Now we're on diversity and that's slowly 
moving on. And I think because the internet's going to be like, either you can get a following or you can't. Um, but so I was dirty. I was always dirty. I started dirty. I ended, you know, I basically created the Las Vegas comedy scene. The Las Vegas comedy scene when I showed up was one open mic every other week in the entire city. There was no, there was no open mics at the time. So I, uh, I started, I just started creating shows everywhere so people could go up. And so I, I, I was always good at producing shows. So I created Naughty Show. I did a show. What happened was I did a show called the Vivid Video Comedy Short. I always thought you had to find your crowd. Who's your crowd? Find your crowd. And I did the Vivid Video Comedy Night, and it had a bunch of porn stars in it. And I just annihilated. I mean, I annihilated. <laughs> I'm like, okay, here's my crowd. There's people who like dirty comedy. I knew that was out there. So I, that show died off. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start a, a naughty show. Comedy Central doesn't uh, like me, and they move on. They basically get this other kind of doing nothing against any of them. They, they're just doing whatever they're doing. So I start this naughty show and it just, it's cooking with gas, right? So I'm doing an naughty show. I did turn to a podcast. It's the funniest thing I've ever done and nobody listened to it. So I'm like, okay, you know, me and the, the host decided, Hey, we, we've done it. Let's move on. We've interviewed as many midgets, sex hookers as we can. Let's move on to other stuff. So I went through a couple different shows and I was like, what do I really love? What do I love to talk about? And I was always be at the comedy store, just getting in like debates with other comedians on politics and conspiracies. I'm like, I was going to do a conspiracy podcast. And lo and behold, they just, I got really blessed that my best friend, one of my best friends, it was like on the, like kind of the, the Mount Rushmore of conspiracy theorists, you know, Eddie Bravo and it just took off and, you know, it became, I first started talking to comics and friends and then I just started getting hit up by like serious guests. And I was like, okay, I guess we're going to do, I guess we're going to do this. And it's, it's been a wonderful journey. And I take the, I take the show very serious. I know it sounds crazy. Like I very much keep the listeners, uh, the listeners uh, needs in mind because you know, I, I feel a big thing that Hollywood or entertainers have gotten away from is that, you know, these people can go see anybody and listen to any show and they could easily take off from you and show you dumb with you. And like, you know, so I, I've I've worked where there I had no crowd. And now that I'm blessed, I have a small crowd and I'm very thankful for them. And I want to make sure that they're there. They, they realize that they're loved and taken care of. And that's, I think, why the show works. I think there's some pretty good lessons to pull out of that, too. I mean, the fact that you you kind of were just starting other shows and starting other shows until you sort of found what clicked. And yeah maybe, yeah, maybe you had that revelation one day, like, oh, yeah, I'm passionate about this thing. So I'll just do the show about that. But you kind of had to do the other shows to get that experience and to to maybe really hit the ground running uh, when you started Tinfoil Hat. And I know you do take it seriously. Like, I mean, was there a transition into that where you were kind of doing more comedy and dark humor and that sort of thing? And then getting into the conspiracy stuff. Did you, was there a point where while you're having fun with it at some point you, you get into certain topics and you say, all right, this is, this is fun. And I'm going to have a lighthearted take on things. And, and you know, because that's how I treat my audience. But at the same time, like, Oh no, this is fucking real. Like this is serious shit. Yeah. That's a great question. Uh, I've been very blessed to be at two kind of cultural epicenters um, in my time. The first one is um, the comedy store. Like right before COVID, 
before everything went nuts and all the outlaws got ran out of Hollywood. I was blessed to be at the world famous comedy store when it was the center of stand-up comedy. It was the center and it was crushing. I was a big part of it. I was there. I, I wasn't saying I was a big part of it, you know, but I, I was blessed to be one of the people there. And the other one, I was blessed to be a part of the death squad, Brian red bands and Joe Rogan's initial uh, comedy network. And I was very blessed to be part of the group of like Tom Segura, Christina Pajinsky, Duncan Trussell, Ari Shafir, Joey Diaz, Brandon Walsh. Um, and the list goes on and on. The Ice House Chronicles. You know, I was there when we, you know, they ran the names by me. And I'm like, let's do Ice House. I, I like Ice House Chronicles. They're like, let's do Ice House Chronicles. So I've been very blessed to be a part of that epicenter. And, you know, the Death Squad changed comedy. Brian Redband changed the, 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 what well, he took the model that kind of Dane Cook kicked off and he allowed dirt, like raw comedy to happen. Joe Rogan was the kind of, I always say Joe Rogan in a weird way, leaving Hollywood is like the fat King dying in game of Thrones, <laughs> like the fat King died. And now there's chaos in the land and you see it happening right now. A lot of people acting out of pocket out here. Even him moving out of LA like last year. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Just, just created chaos out here. Uh -huh. And a lot of the outlaws left. A lot of the outlaws. And I just, I don't know where my place is in LA. So I'm kind of have some personal shit I have to take care of. Got to get my kids situated. Got to get my personal living space, all this stuff. So I'm kind of taking a break from it. But I was very blessed to be a part of that. But the truth of the matter is, is when... I was on Death Squad. I wasn't getting a lot of views like the other guys are getting for whatever reason. I wasn't getting the views. I wasn't connecting. And, you know, I was in my addiction. I was spiritually bankrupt, uh, you know, and I think that resonated with people. And that well, that resonated in a way that they didn't want to be a part of. So it didn't resonate with people. It actually repelled people, you know. So – I was struggling for a long time. So when tinfoil hats started taking off, I realized I had something that I very much very, better put love and kindness and appreciation into it because it could easily go away. And, you know, now we're at December, December, again, 13th or 16th will be the sixth year anniversary of tinfoil hat. We've been blessed to be in the top 100 of comedy <coughs> for the le for almost that entire time. And it's such a, like, there's so many comedy podcasts out there that's, like, insane that's still there. And I don't take that lightly. I care about it. And um, I'll do Tim Fall Hat forever until I people are done hearing me. And then whoever, whatever happens, whatever happens, you know. So, but, yeah, I, I just, like, I, I, I know it's, like, not to have it. So I'm very thankful for having it. And you said you've been sober for like five years. I will, next month will be two years. So okay. I went out. I had I had five. Went out for a long okay, time. Okay, so you, you guys, I got you. Now so, I'm back. So did, did in some way kind of like the success of Tinfoil Hat and and that becoming more of something that you needed to take care of? Obviously, have, maybe that all ties in together because having a family and having something to take care of there. It's a big part of a lot of changes for me, and I, I'm sure a lot of changes for you as well. But was all of that kind of part of, you know, sort of becoming the, the fully sober man that you are today? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Like not want to show up and be off a run and have to do a show. And, you know, it would just be I just 
I just felt like I would be not authentic with the crowd and I'd be letting them down and they're, they're coming, you know, they're coming to me to hear a side that they can't get anywhere else. So I, I have to operate, whether it's my standup or my podcast, I have to operate at the highest levels to pull it off because if I don't, it crashes really hard. It's like a very high end type of thing. I do the type of standup that I do is like very, very, very like, I'm pushing envelopes, man. I, I'm like, I'm like, hey, man, how much, you know, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. And I, I, I don't want to say I'm challenging, but I'm letting them know that, like, dude, I'm going to talk about some shit and you might get uncomfortable and you got to be okay with that. And so I have to operate at a very, very high level when it comes to that. And I, and, you know, I've been very blessed, man. I got picked up by Mitzi Shore. I'm the only one of two people that the queen gave their first spot to be an, um, uh, a main room spot. It was myself and Roseanne Barr. It's a very, so I've been very blessed and I'm going to be honest with you while I was doing drugs, I became very mediocre and that's the worst death than anything outside of real death, mediocre. When you know you have what it takes to be great, um, is just, it just kills your soul. And then again, it becomes this kind of vicious circle that just starts happening. You're not having a set you like because you're doing drugs all the time. And so, you know, I, I just had to get out of my way. And to be honest with you, man, just the thought of being a drug addict and having toddlers is like such a, like a low level for me that I just didn't want to do that. You know, yeah, it's one thing when you're, when you're on your own and you're just with your buddies and you're not going back home to anybody, but what are you going to be doing? Blowing the bathroom when you, I mean, come on. So my goal in life to my best of my ability, is the not to be the reason my daughters are in therapy or on a pole, okay? And not that I have problems with each, any of those. I just don't want to be the reason for it, okay? So I, I, I'm trying to do- You want them to be on the pole for the right Well, reasons. you know, maybe you're teaching pole dancing class. I don't know. Or again, again, <laughs> I don't- People are like, oh, well, if your daughter became a stripper. Well, there's worse jobs out there, okay? There's like banker, politician- a clown. Imagine <laughs> if your daughter came home as a clown. You'd be like, There's much more. Right? So to answer your question about the spiritual part. So I was doing Tim Fall hats. And at the very beginning, they wanted the pizza gates, the lizard people, the CIA MK ultra shows. And I, I get that. Cause those are, those are topics I love talking about. Uh, even though they're very dark, I like to explore them and get, to the bottom of them and give the crowd the best information I can. But occasionally uh, I would do a spiritual podcast and early on those episodes did not get any ratings, any list, any views, any listens. They wouldn't do well, but I needed them. And I felt there was the, I felt that when you study all of this, you study conspiracy enough, it always leads to spirituality. It's always like, what else are they lying to us about? You know, you, when you really start looking at like religion and spirituality, there seems to be some long con games going on. And again, I, I don't, as long as you treat people well, I don't care what you believe. As long as you don't hurt people, particularly children, I don't care what you do with consenting adults. That's none of my business. Whatever your God is, I respect whatever God you want to believe in Mohammed, Jesus, you know, 
uh, 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 fucking Moha, uh, Moses, uh, uh, you know, uh, Anuna- the, not the Anunnaki, but, you know, the uh, chicken snake gods of uh, the Gnostics, whatever it is, man, whatever you want. I, I'm fine with it. But I would do these spiritual podcasts and they wouldn't get numbers, but they were resonating with me. So I get hit up by Rockfin. They're like, please, please do a show on our channel. Well, you know, and I'm like, I really want to do a, a a, uh, a spiritual podcast and like just COVID had just hit and I lost my, my show comedy chaos at the world famous comedy store. And it was a very, I'm, I'm very blessed that at the time it was the number one show at the number one comedy club on planet earth. And it, the, the comedy store had sold more, sold more tickets than any other comedy club on planet earth. It was statistical fact. And we were selling more, tickets than anybody else and we were selling more booze than everybody else which is if you really got to a comic that's really what your job is when you go to a comedy club is to sell booze so we had the number one show at the number one club which made the number one showcase show on planet earth and that had been taken away by covid so i was i really i just had daughters i really needed children i i mean i really needed cash to pay for these two kids and the mom so I'm like, they're like, Hey, we'll give you a, we'll, we'll give you a guarantee. And I'm like, okay, I'll take it. And that's what started. Wait, Rockfin gives guarantees. At the time it was at a much different place. Now it's becoming this brand of excellence. Uh, and people want to be on that time. They're just trying to get anybody to come check out their product. So I was blessed and it's the journey. And I, I still don't know how people could listen to Tim Paul hat and not listen to zero, but everyone's on their own journey. Well, I, I definitely recommend listening to both. Uh, and I, it is interesting, like seeing the contrast between the two, but also the overlap. And I, I think you kind of nailed it there. Like when, when you get deep enough into the conspiracy realm, particularly, and I, I think this is something that I saw and that I saw happening with a lot of people in the last couple of years is, is realizing like it, the last couple of years, the COVID stuff, it was like conspiracy come to life. It was like you couldn't re- if you were immersed in that world before, you couldn't really tell yourself maybe it's not that bad. Maybe it's really not as evil as I thought you because you could always sort of tell yourself that before. Maybe. But after the last two years, it, you kind of had to stop saying that. And then once you realize that it's real in in some kind of sense then you can't help but just try to get to the bottom of it. And as you kind of were saying earlier, if you just look at profit, like that doesn't quite explain it. Like these guys are doing pretty good. Um, The only thing that really does explain it is evil is some kind of evil. And if there's evil, there's good. And that here you are now you're, now you're in the spiritual, the conversation. 100%. And then you start just studying all this other things, the history of all religions and you know, again, if if you're a good person, worship whatever you want. I'm not here to tell you what's right or wrong or anything like that. But you study the you know how these religions came, who's behind them. Suddenly, the three Abrahamic religions have a book that's introduced that somewhat changed the trajectory of those religions. And go all three of them. And who who are the people who inserted these books? Then you start you know. You start taking a look at like the Bible and why certain stories are in it and why certain stories aren't. And the Bible's pretty made. The Quran, the Quran isn't the original Quran that they follow. The Quran is like, you know, the, the uh, Muhammad, right? It's like written 
80 years after his passing. And then the Bible's written 300 years after Jesus. Then you get into the uh, Talmud and how that's introduced. And you're like, why is this Babylonian oral history of the rabbis being and You just start studying this stuff. And then you start going, okay, who, who are introducing these books? And then you start asking these questions. And then you start looking into things like black cubes and Saturn worship and all this stuff. And it all starts to click. And then you start going even deeper and then you start seeing people talk about Anunnaki, but then that kind of lines up with like fallen angels stuff. And then you start getting into like, hold on, there's something that like was before Christianity or Judaism. Oh, it's called Hinduism. Hinduism. Okay. Oh, there's something even beyond Hinduism called Vedic astrology. Oh, there's something even past that, the Zoroasterism. And then you go all the way back to the, you know, Sumerians and all that stuff. And it just starts to get super. Then you start to study like, oh, history has been hidden from us. And you're like, why has history been hidden from us? And then you start to study that because then it starts to let us know that maybe we're not bacteria in sneakers on a rock hurling through space right and that there's actually some order to this and there's purpose to this and when we when we when we help others and we show love we vibrate and our we start to attract different people and it's it all starts to like things click where they never did before yeah and i think it's especially interesting when you when you're observing reality right now, when you've been observing the last couple of years and you see real time lies. Maybe that's almost the benefit of, of the Internet in some ways that maybe before it would take like five, ten years to find out some the truth behind something because some guy had to write a book and then some people had to share the book around. But now that you can see in real time, uh, especially with the covid narrative and all this stuff, it's like, oh, lie 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 and then you start to say well okay if they're real time lying to us and we're it's so obvious now why was i just believing like the all the history i just learned in school and then if then you're thinking well <laughs> like you've been kind of laying out so all of this and it doesn't mean it's one lie one lie one lie but if if last week is a lie then how the fuck am i supposed to know what 2000 years ago 6000 years ago or what have you but at the same time when you dive into this stuff too you do start to see the truths and the things that do stick out that that and again i guess this is where we all sort of form our our grand unifying theories as we go to see what what see what feels true to us in here what feels like yeah, a lie sure. and, I, and sorting that out is the and hard part then you start getting into like you know, just entities and interdimensionals. And then you start going, okay, are these, are these entities? Are these angels? What are they? And you go, what is the internet? Why is the internet here? What is the purpose of the internet? Why are they allowing the internet to operate? Why are they allowing it to operate and just destroy all their narratives and destroy their way of operating, which is to create, to create manifest us to allow them to do anything? Because the elites are like, the movie, um, The Lost Boys, right? At the end of The Lost Boys, where the vampire has to be invited in. For some reason, through this occult rituals and cult magic, whatever it is, their rule is they have to be allowed by us to do it. So they have to manufacture and manifest us begging them to help them. So this is why they do all these false flag stuff, to manufacture us allowing them to do it. You start studying all that. You're like, okay, so if they're so powerful, like they really want us to believe, and they control everything, like they really want us to believe, why haven't they shut down the internet? 
Why haven't they completely made it so there's no way for information to flow? Why? 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 And the truth is that there, for as much darkness as there, there is light out there. And the light is the light pushes back against the darkness. And that is just our reality. And I don't know, man, it makes me believe that there's a higher power out there at work. And just in my spiritual life, zeros really helped me to understand a lot of stuff that no matter how crazy it gets, these principles I've learned, I stick with them and I seem to come out okay, no matter how crazy the PSYOP or whatever they're running on us at that time. Are there any particular like subjects or episodes, whether it's Zero or Tinfoil Hat, that really pushed the own boundaries of what you believed that really, you know, made you sit back and think like, okay, I have to actually reassess a little bit of my own reality here to, to sort of soak this in. Is there anything that kind of stands out? Yeah. There's a couple people like Von Galt. Uh, Von Galt's really helped me understand some of the rules of the universe. Amy Belair. Uh, she's really helped me. Um, uh, Birch driver has been a giant uh, of, influence on me like you know the the understanding like von galt i I say it's so funny like i'll take things i'll take things that i learn in in zero and discuss them in my recovery meetings and they resonate with people and one of the big things is i really do believe this that the universe warns you and then it shows you most likely is something crazy it just happened in somebody's life there was a bunch of warnings before that, that the universe said, hey, you shouldn't do this. You, this is not going, it didn't work out. You got fired. You did bang, 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 whatever it is. The universe, and then if you don't listen, the universe shows you. And sometimes it shows you in little ways. And sometimes it just blows it all up. And there's even chances that you might go to jail for a long time or pass away. So that's, that's, that's a big, big thing for me. Another thing that I've really practiced in my life which it, there's a couple things I've learned. Uh, another thing is uh, abundance. The notion that, that we live in a society from the moment we're born, we're taught scarcity. Everything is scarcity. There's not enough money. You got to hoard your money. You can't spend your money. Look at this guy. He had all this money. He spent all this money. Now he's got no money. Uh, they never tell you why he doesn't have any money and the things he spent on, which most likely was himself. And that's not what you're supposed to do. Okay, abundance is given away and it will come back. Okay, that's a big thing for me. Retro causality is something to believe that things aren't going to work out is to worship two gods. Uh, It's all going to work out the way it may not work out the way you want to because there's a bigger plan. Uh, The hermetic principles have really opened my eyes to everything. The duality, duality is a big problem in our, our, our society because Everyone has light and dark, and some people see the darkness, some people see the light, and they just fight over it. This is a good person. This is a bad person. When they're both I don't, uh, good and bad is weird. They're both light and dark. And once you realize that you can never get rid of your dark, so much of our society is trying to eliminate our darkness. But yeah, you can get rid of that dark side here. No, no. That's why in recovery, you'll see a person who's sober for 30 years still say, I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict. Because- that's still inside them. Uh, the Hermetic principles, the Kabbalion, uh, 
I had to order a second. That's why it's still wrapped. I couldn't find my other one. But the Kabbalion, which is like kind of the pop version of the Hermetic Principles, really opened my eyes to a bunch of shit. Just going back to like, it seems like there's a lot of synergy synergy in a, in a few different things, just hearing you lay out your story, especially of the last two years. Last years when you've been sober. Last years of, is when you've gotten into the Zero podcast. Um, can you kind of tie all that together? Is, is there is there a big correlation between all of this and what we saw unfolding around us? Especially, I was in LA at the time too when all this stuff started. That's why I'm not there anymore. Uh, everything unfolding You're around blessed. you. Um, was do you think that it was kind of kind of like you've been saying there's a reason all this is happening at at this point in time there's a reason you've undergone this transformation in this specific period of time i would tell you that everything going on right now is outside of the elites thing they just they just read the stars and they know what what is coming and they're trying to act like they're the ones doing it and reality they're not doing anything they're like the notion that Klaus Schwab has anything to do, could do anything to the universe. Klaus Schwab, which probably is one of the most powerful human beings on the planet. He's not the most powerful because we know his name. Uh, the people that really run everything, we don't know their fucking names. But the notion that somebody like Klaus Schwab is bigger than the, the laws of the universe is just hilarious. The laws of the universe is love, abundance law of attraction, okay, love thy neighbor, all that stuff, you know, that's the rules that you got to buy by. And those who play by those rules ascend. Those who don't fall. And that's why their their plans are working. I, I know everybody thinks it's crazy, and I, I can't tell you what's going to happen with this vaccine and the people who took the vaccines, uh, whether something isn't good going to happen. I think there is a war on humanity, and some people have fallen for the tricks. And you, I, and they're in my family. People I love. I would, I love them with all my heart. Uh, they don't want to listen to me. I don't know why. I've never lied to them. I've never stolen from them. I, I, I consider them some outside of my daughters the most important people in my life. And they still don't want to listen to me. They want to listen to some guy on the television that they've never fucking met in their life. Uh, it is, but that's it. And I just think that all is being revealed now. All is being revealed. And we're, we're going through this dark period right now because light is about to come. And the old way of operating is coming to an end. And they're just trying to do whatever they can to make it seem like they're in charge when in reality they're losing daily. Well, Sam, I think that's a hell of a, a hell of a note to uh, kind of wrap up the main show here on. And uh, you're going to stick around with me. We're going to hop into the smoke-filled room, maybe get a little bit weirder, uh, dive into some strange conspiracy stuff or what have you. But before we do that, do I just want to make sure everybody knows about all your podcasts. I think you've probably got it down by now, listing everything you do, but feel free to plug away on everything you got going on. Any, any comedy specials you got coming up, plug away. Yeah. Uh, so you can get everything that you need about what I do is on samtriplee.com. All the, all the uh, Tim Fall hat videos are there. All my dates. I got a, next week. I got comedy cast in the main room. I'm doing a show with Eddie Bravo at the rec room in Huntington beach. Then I'm doing a very special uh, one-nighter by myself in Ventura. It's going to be stand-up comedy. Then I'm doing a second show of ranting and raving because I got to be honest with you, man. I love stand-up. I've been doing it since I, I I just turned 50. I've been doing stand-up since I was 22 years old. I love it, but I also kind of want to feel like I'm growing past this need to let, get people to laugh, and I just want to kind of do some deep dives onto some subjects on stage. 
And so I kind of want to do that Q&A answer, talk about how I see the world in a weird way. So I call it the revival. I'm going to be doing that. So go to samjubilee.com, check all that. And then I have seven podcasts. I have Tim Fall Hat. I have Broken Sim, which is just me seeing how long I can talk about my week. And it's it's basically, I call it the sports center for the apocalypse. We talk about what's going on in the world and all the chaos. And then I have that. I have Cash Daddies, which is helping people learn to invest their money. I work on that. Um, Punch Drunk is my sports show. I have uh, the Union of the Unwanted with some very wonderful guys, Charlie, Ricky, Midnight Mike. Uh, it's I consider it the, the most important conversation on the internet. Uh, Ricky and Charlie and Midnight Mike do wonderful jobs of booking it, and they get the best, the best conversations. Then I have old episodes of my Rockfin content, which is Zero, my spiritual podcast, and then the number one debate show between Binary Men, which is uh, Conspiracy Social Club with Brian Callen. And I just love that guy so much, and it's such a blessing to have conversations with him. So uh, go check it out. It's a wonderful, wonderful show. All that's at samtriplee.com. All right. Well, whatever you're into, Sam's got a podcast for you. That's for sure. So <laughs> I just want to learn anything I want to learn about. I will have to at some point cut them down, but that day isn't here yet. But that day may come at some point. But enjoy them while they can. Like they're usually like hour, two hour shows too. So good stuff. All right, Sam. Well, I do really appreciate you coming on the show. Really appreciate appreciate you spending this time with us. And uh, we'll see you on the other side. We'll see you in the smoke filled room. But uh, until then, thanks for coming on my show. I'm loving it. All right, friends. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with the great Sam Tripoli. And I've said this in every other episode, and it was true in every other episode, but it's even more true in this episode. If you are not a premium subscriber, either on Rockfin, Patreon, Subscribestar, wherever it may be, you missed out on the smoke-filled room segment. Of course, you don't have to miss out. You can still sign up and head over and hear the entire over 90-minute discussion that I had with Sam Tripoli, as I do with all of my guests. Uh, the premium members who support me, either on Patreon, Rockfin, etc., are the ones who fund this show, who keep this thing going so they get extra special treatment. They get early access to every single episode and they get the extended version, including the smoke-filled room bonus segment where this week Sam and I discussed all sorts of weird and wild stuff. We got deeper on the Mandela effect. We talked about Helen Keller. Yes, Helen Keller. Is she real? Is she fake? Was she British sometimes? A lot of good questions there. We even touched on Flat Earth and some other weird stuff. You got to hear it all by checking out the extended premium version of of this episode. Again, Rockfin, Patreon. You can find all the links you need over at markclair.com. That's M-A-R-C-C-L-A-I-R, markclair.com. You know who went over there and did that and did just that and found the premium links and got in there at my highest level? That is my man, Jared Wall, who runs thchempspot.com for all your Delta 8 THC products you got to check out the THC Hemp Spot for many, many reasons. One, of course, we're building a community here. So you want to help others within the community. Jared has gone out of his way to support my show at $77 a month on Patreon. Again, that is my highest tier. The lucky 77s. I'm very honored to have Jared as a member at that level. And as part of that benefit, he gets a mention every single week this month for his great website, thchempspot.com, but that's not all. You even get a 15% discount 
You got to work for it though. You got to spell my name right. Promo code Mark, M-A-R-C. That's promo code Mark at THCHempspot.com. Thanks to my man, Jared Wall. Uh, also coming up for those who are subscribers, premium subscribers, you're going to get a bonus show this month called Mark's Monthly Musings, where I recap the month that was. Uh, I talk about some things going on in my life, some things I'm reading, some things I'm watching, and I preview the episodes that I've got coming up. That is available, again, exclusively for Mark Claire Show Premium Subs. You got to be one. It's the place to be. It's the way to be. It's a better way to live. Thank you again for joining me this week. Next week, I've got hell of an interview. Again, one that you can hear right now if you head over and subscribe at markclair.com. That is with the man himself of the channel made by Jim Bob on YouTube. I'm really excited to be welcoming in next week, Jim Bob. Until then, my friends, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs>